Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better... This is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, to get started. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? That's more Rocket Ajax to bring back his body. Hello, everybody, and welcome to War Rocket Ajax. This is the internet's most destructive comic book and pop culture podcast, and we are your hosts. My name is Chris Sims. With me, as always, is Matt Wilson. Matt, how are you? 
I have had a busy week, Chris, and I'm a little tired, but I am otherwise doing fine. I hope you are doing fine as well. I'm raring to go, bud. Yeah, let's get I'm, to it. I'm feeling slim, trim, rough, tough, buff, cut, and jacked. <laughs> wow. that That's a lot of adjectives, and I'm glad that you're feeling so energized. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm sorry that you are feeling a little tired, but you know what? My energy, my hand is going to touch your hand. Reaching <laughs> out, the energy is going to flow through you, Matt. It's all about energy, I, baby. I can't wait. I can't wait. And the podcast is about Reiki now, everybody. <laughs> uh, listeners, I think you should be excited too because we have an amazing show for everybody this week. We have a great guest. Our guest is Van Jensen who has written a lot of comics over the years, done a lot of great work. Uh, Most recently, Van has been the creative force behind the Stardust, the Super Wizard Anthology, which is funding right now on zoop.gg. And we are going to talk to Van about that, as well as a number of other topics, including... His return to playing video games after two decades of laying the controller down. It's going to be very exciting. It's going to be very exciting. Uh, So stick around for our interview with Van. But before we get to our interview, Chris, we do have some business to take care of. And the first order of business is thanking our supporters over on Patreon. That's right, Matt. These are the people who went all the way down to 642 Gimmick Street. You know what's there. It is the one-hour photo. All right, interesting. (laughs) It's not really a thing I feel like I can riff on at all. Well, you're going to get cherished memories that you could keep for a lifetime. Do those still exist? Oh, yeah. There's still places to get photos developed on paper. I know that. I know that you could, like, you can go to Walgreens and and do that. Are there still, like, one-hour photos, though? I think so. Like, the little booths? I think so. I think so. There had to be, like, I I took photography in school. Those booths had to be, like, just full of chemical fumes. Oh, yeah. Uh, No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Anyway, that's what 642 Gimmick Street. You know, you don't need to go there, though. I don't know why you went all the way down there. You didn't need to. You could just take pictures on your phone. Uh, and you know what else you can do with your phone? That's right. You can go to patreon.com slash Ajax, where you can kick in as little as a dollar a month to uh, help me and Matt keep doing this show, all of our associated shows, and most importantly, help us pay those gimmicks that keep sending in the mail called Bills. That's right, Chris. And our newest Patreon supporter is Alex Smith. Hey, Alex Smith. Love that guy. Thanks, Alex. Good uh, guy. Good guy. Good, good guy. Good artist. Great friend. Thank you, Alex. That's right. Yes, thank you, Alex. If you would like to be like Alex and now help us out here on the show, you can do, as Chris said, uh, head over to patreon.com slash War Rocket Ajax, and kick in as little as $1 per month to make sure that we do this show every week. 
that we do every story ever specials monthly that we do comics catch up monthly. And those are coming. Don't worry, everybody. Uh, movie fighters and snack situation. All of those shows are made possible by your support on our Patreon. And as a patron, you get every single one of those shows that I just mentioned completely ad free. That is a guarantee. You get your own little special Patreon feed of all the shows that we do with no ads. Guaranteed. If you you put it into your podcatcher, it'll say War Rocket Ajax's Clytus Media, I guess. Is it Clytus Media or War Rocket Ajax? I think it's War Rocket Ajax, but all the shows are on that same feed. It'll say War Rocket Ajax's private feed for your name. Unless you're me, in which case it says whatever's private feed for sailor business. (laughs) (laughs) You can also get other cool stuff over on the Patreon. You can get line stepping privileges for our segments. Right now, the segments are every story ever and Thursday night raw that you can step to the front of the line with your submission. If you're at that level, you can get bonus content that includes bonus audio writing from me and Chris and uh, other stuff that we put up exclusively on Patreon. Chris, I think it's maybe time we do some bonus audio, some spoiler specials about movies and video games and stuff that we've seen and played lately. I would certainly like to to get the chance to go in-depth on uh, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom and uh, Across the Spider-Verse. In yeah, those for sure. Those are the two big ones. Yeah. You can get physical rewards. I have ordered the t-shirts for this year, so they are on the way. I think they're being printed right now, so uh, they should be out to listeners by sometime in July, I think. And uh, there's other cool stuff on the Patreon, too. So if any of that sounds like you would be into it, head over to Patreon and help us out. If you are unable to help us, monetarily you can help us out in other ways you can leave us a five-star review on the podcasting app that is your preferred app apple podcasts google podcasts spotify wherever it is that you get your podcasts a five-star review would be so so nice for us or you can just spread the word about the show tell your friends get the word out let more people know about how war rocket ajax is the podcast that they should listen to Every single week. With that, Chris, it's time for some checks and wrecks. What do you say? Let's do it. Chris, what do you have to check in with this week? Matt, it is finished. Not yet, for me. But by the time you listen to this, I will have likely completed my first question mark. We'll see. Playthrough. Of the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. So, first you said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And then, later, you said, it is finished. Yeah, like, I, I, I think I said, Father, why have you forsaken me, maybe like 36 years ago, uh, for unrelated <laughs> reasons. Yeah. <laughs> but thanks for bringing it up, though, Matt. Of course. I'm here to help. Uh, yeah, I finished my playthrough of Tears of the Kingdom as well. Um, I did not go the full completionist route. Um, we could talk about this more in some some bonus audio, but I hit a point where I was just like, "All right, I'm fi- I'm going and fighting Big G." 
and I did. Uh, and and I told you before we started recording that big that last big fight with Big G. Good stuff. I you're, you're gonna enjoy it. I'm intrigued because I do feel like if Breath of the Wild had a flaw, it's that the the final boss fight, the final boss fight in that game is a weird one because yes. not like you. Just, it's not it doesn't even involve the Master Sword. <laughs> Well, it's it, the whole Calamity Ganon thing is weird. Yeah. Breath of the Wild is not really a game about story, <laughs> ultimately. Yeah. No, it's a game about experience. Yeah. But yeah, like I'm, I'm very interested to see how the final boss fight goes. Uh, I have not done that because I am, as, as you mentioned, I'm not going the full completionist route, but only because there's fucking a thousand Koroks and I'm not. I don't yeah. even know. They There must be some new way that they've hidden them that I don't even know about. Because I've pretty much gotten all the ones I'm gonna get and it's like 300 at yeah. this point. I just yeah. like saw a bell that's just in a town. Like you know the Terrytown bell? Uh-huh. It's like in there behind the statue. I was just like, huh, I wonder. And I shot it and a fucking Korok popped out. And I'm like, okay, if you if this is what we're doing now, then this is anything. <laughs> but I'll tell you what I have done. The only reason it's not done now is I'm working on my monster medals. Uh, I did the wells. I did the bubble frogs. I know what happens to that dirty little freak. That little pervert. Uh, I I can I, I know what happened to him. I saw it with my own two Christian eyes, Matt. Congratulations! I'm I had to go watch a YouTube video, so so I cheated to see it. Yeah. So yeah. Good. You, I, know what? I, you cheated yourself. <laughs> I have done. I got all the obviously all the shrines, all the light roots. That's basic, but I also got all the bubble frogs, getting all the monsters, doing all the stuff. I admire this game's commitment to not rewarding you for the video game you played. I think a lot in with this game about the Tim Rogers talking about, uh, what is it? Boku no Natsume? Uh, and talking about how the game is like, look at all that video game you played. Uh huh. And I love that in this game, the reward that you get for doing all, like killing all the monsters, getting all the, the bubble frogs, you don't get anything. You get, you get little metals, little imaginary metals that sit in your inventory that you can't do anything with the bubble frog. You get a fucking paraglider cloth that you're never going to use. Although it is kind of a cool design. The paraglider cloths are the rewards for so many things in that game. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I like them. Like, I've switched it up a couple times. I like a lot of the paraglider cloths, but, like, I, I like that this game is insisting that playing it is the reward. Because it is. Because it's a good game. It doesn't yeah. need to give you a thing for playing the game. It already gave you the game. And I kind of love that. The, uh, the sheer, the moxie of it. The audacity. I love well, it. Also, usually your reward for for doing that kind of stuff is, like, some kind of mega weapon or something. Yeah. And by the time you get it, it's like, well, I already beat everything. <laughs> like, yeah. 
And there's like one or two. There's like, you know, you go on that one quest to get all the Fierce Deity armor, and then you get the Fierce Deity sword at the end of it. Yeah. But like, mainly it's just, congratulations, you played a lot of this video game. Good job. Yeah. And I love that. I, th- I love that as a design philosophy, and I love the, the confidence that this game has in itself to be like, yeah, no, the game was good. You don't need anything else. The game is good. Tetris doesn't give you anything for, uh, for doing good either, for playing a lot of it. You just get to play Tetris a bunch. The, the Moxie. Good job, Nintendo. That is why Nintendo is the only corporation that can be your friend. Uh, Matt, what have you been doing while I have been doing multiple systematic genocides of Hyrule? Well, Chris, while we're talking about something that maybe you invest a lot of time in that Mm -hmm. ends up being its own reward, last weekend, I busted out, specifically last Sunday, I busted out the smoker I got for my birthday and I had I purchased a large rack of spare ribs from the grocery store, and I said, "Okay, let's try this." And it was my whole day Sunday, like literally from one p.m. to about eight thirty p.m. I was intently watching this rack of ribs on the smoker. And I got a little frazzled at points. I it started raining. I got really into like trying to maintain the temperature. That's the hardest part of doing anything with like one of these kind of manual smokers. Cause like if you buy like a really, really fancy smoker that's kind of like electric that you just like put wood pellets in and they burn on their own and it's all automated. You can just set a temperature and it just goes to that temperature and you don't have to do any maintaining of it at all. But the smoker I have, you light some charcoal, you put some wood chips in the charcoal and you maintain the temperature by opening and closing vents on the smoker. And so I was very like frantically at times, either trying to raise or lower the temperature (laughs) inside this, this smoker for the six hours that I was consistently smoking these ribs. Like I had watched a bunch of YouTube videos about different rib smoking methods. And it seems like the most popular that people all often use is called the three, two, one method. I won't describe it here. You can go look it up yourself if you're curious, but I was like, okay, that's what I'm doing to smoke these ribs. And despite getting frazzled at points and perhaps being worried that it was going to turn out badly and my garage smelling like charcoal still because I had to bring it under the garage because of the rain, those ribs were so fucking good, dude. <laughs> By the end of it, I was so happy. Like, I I was so worried at so many points that they were going to turn out bad. And then the final product, like, Marlene had been somewhere doing some some work for a show for part of the day. A lot of the afternoon. 
And so she came home almost exactly as I was finishing. And so I like, I, I was doing the last little bit of the smoking process where you, you actually sauce the ribs and let them smoke for a little bit longer. And so I, I pulled them off the smoker. I brought them inside. We let them rest for a little bit and made some sides. And then she took the first bite of of the ribs when they were done. And she was like, Matt, I'm just going to tell you this. Like, it's not that I expected them to be bad, but I'm shocked at how good these are. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, And it felt really good. And it's only uphill from here. I feel like the more things I make on this smoker, uh, the the more used to it I get, the more I kind of am comfortable with putting in the right amount of charcoal, putting in the right amount of wood chips, getting the temperature right, all of that stuff. Uh, the more comfortable I'll be and the better I'll do. But I was pretty happy with how uh, my first run on this thing turned out. It was, it was, I really considered it a test run more than anything, but uh, it, it ended up being pretty good. Very exciting, Matt. Very, Very exciting. exciting. Very exciting. I cannot wait to visit. Yeah. Yeah. Because, we'll, we'll, I, I mean, we'll I guess see. I shouldn't insist that you make me ribs. Well, maybe by the time you visit, I'll have smoked other things on the smoker, and, and maybe we could have some pork shoulder or chicken or something else that what I'll have two 40 year olds conversation. This is, this is the show now folks. Sorry. This is the show that is the arrow of time. <laughs> Chris, it's time to make some recommendations. What do you have to recommend? Matt, I would like to do something that we recommend every now and then here on the show. Uh, and that is recommend a personal pronoun cathode ray tube video. <laughs> Second person, personal pronoun. Second person, personal pronoun, cathode ray tube, video. Okay, great. Others among you might call it, might call it YouTube. Yeah. And this is a this is by a creator that we have uh, recommended before, but it is the uh, latest uh, Super Eye Patch Wolf video. Is this uh, the video about? Uh, fear and fear and hunger. No, no, no. That's that's the the latest Jake Geller video, I believe. There's a super eye patch wolf about video about fear and hunger, also. <laughs> okay. Oh, is there? I might yeah. be confusing those two. No, this is the one about Roman Reigns. Oh yes. Okay. 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 Yeah. Uh, we have mentioned uh, super eye patch wolf before. I weirdly make a cameo appearance in one of his videos, <laughs> which I think is surprised me i think that's i have maybe left one or two comments on youtube in my life and one of them was just oh yeah that's me <laughs> i appear in b-roll when he's talking about roberto Aguirre sacasa in the yes. Riverdale video yes i'm a, I'm a fan of those videos and i really really like when he goes into pro wrestling because i feel like he he has an understanding of pro wrestling that i think mirrors our sensibilities and our approach to wrestling as a story and kind of highlights the things that you and I like about pro wrestling. Like uh, he did one about like long form storytelling in the undertaker. He did one about heels. 
uh, that's that's really good where he talks about MJF and kind of like goes in deep. Uh, he also did a big video about Nathan Fielder, <laughs> so that should tell you what you need to know. But having not watched uh, the other guys product in a while, having not watched the World Wrestling Federation's televised product in a while, I want the version of the story that exists only in this YouTube video, but I want to watch it all. And I know that it is not, I'm not going to get that if I actually watch it, but this video that he has about Roman Reigns and the, the bloodline storyline and how Roman Reigns turning heel was this collision of real life and storytelling, but not in a, like, not, not in a, in a way where like Roman Reigns hates the fans or something, but like in a, in a very fascinating way, it is, I think well worth watching as even if you're only mildly interested in pro wrestling, I won't say, I won't say watch it even if you don't like pro wrestling, but I do think if you're even mildly interested, the way that he approaches the storytelling is something that you're going to find fascinating and really entertaining he does a really great job of this story that I have almost entirely missed because I haven't been watching WWE in a long time. I mean, entertainment. Yeah, he 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 goes back a ways. I mean, he goes back to the Shield. And... He goes, yeah, he goes all the way back to the Shield and like, like really. I mean, he goes back to Ring of Honor and Kevin Steen and El Generico. Yeah, uh, like he really goes goes in deep kind of charting the roots of these characters, but in a way that I think is also like very accessible. So, uh, highly recommended, uh, super eye patch wolf on YouTube and that video about, uh, Roman reigns and yes. the, the get, getting worked into a shoot. That's also a work. Yes. It's, it's a great video. And, and as I was watching it, I was kind of like, I sort of hate that this is all about WWE. And it's it's all about how you know WWE told this great story, sort of unintentionally, but it is undoubtedly the best story WWE has told in a very long time. Yeah, you got to give them credit where it's due. Also, I absolutely also want to do a subrec of Super Eye Patch Wolf's video about the video game Fear and Hunger. Which sent me on a rabbit hole spiral of videos about the video game Fear and Hunger. You're you're right. That was one of his. That that was not uh, a Jacob Geller video. That I, I was thinking yeah. of that one. Yeah, that's also a really good video for a game I will a hundred percent never play because I would hate it. Yeah, same. I'm never playing this game. I'm never playing its sequel. But I have watched numerous videos now explaining the story of these games. Because I do find them completely fascinating. Mm-hmm. I watched a couple videos from one YouTuber in particular uh, that I want to shout out, uh, who like goes very, very deep into explaining the story of those games. Uh, her, her name on YouTube is Worm Girl. 
and she she basically will say like here's everything that happens in these two video games uh and it's it's good stuff so so check check out that super eye fetch wolf video too as well as worm girls videos about the both yeah, fear and hunger games please send those to me uh much like the uh h-bomber guy video on uh pathologic i love to watch videos about video games i will absolutely not play because they do not look fun well chris then i have a recommendation for you great because my recommendation is also a youtube video it is a video by power pack and it's not like the comic book power pack it's pack p-a-k like a game pack and this video is called My House.wad Inside Doom's Most Terrifying Mod. That is has been on like the YouTube homepage of like recommended for me. Yeah. And I haven't watched it for two reasons. One, because okay. I don't I don't watch YouTube videos by people I don't trust. Well <laughs> and I don't know this person. From from what I can tell, Power Pack is A OK. Okay. You never know when when it's going to try and swerve you into white nationalism. That's true. Not what I am interested in. That is true. Uh, and second, legitimately, I did worry it might scare me. I don't know. It might. It might scare you. But honestly, honestly, this reminded me in some ways of like a Jacob Geller video about scary stuff or a super eye patch wolf video. The, Super Eye Patch Wolf is name checked in the video about myhouse.wad. Okay. So I Power Pack seems to be kind of in that orbit of YouTubers. So here's the deal, Chris. This the, I didn't know anything about it, but this kept being recommended to me as well. And so I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I guess I'll just delete it from my history if it tries to radicalize me. But what this is about is about a Doom mod, and specifically it's a Doom 2 mod, that was released this year. It was released in March of 2023. That game is 20, maybe 7 years old? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And all that was said, so it was put on, you know, the Doom fans board where they, modders, you know, put up the stuff they make. And all that was said when it was put up was uh, a friend of mine recently passed away. We used to play video games together a lot in his old house. So I made a mod based on his house. And when you open up the, the mod, it is just like a house. Like somebody built a house in the Doom engine and you can go in and it looks like a house. And the thing is, the, the mod comes with documentation that has photos of the house. And it is the house, exactly. And there's also like a diary in there where the modder is talking about the process of making the mod. And it's like dated entries of like here's here's what I was feeling while making the mod. But it becomes pretty clear as you're playing the game that these diary entries aren't actually true. 
they're a story. And they play into and tie into what is happening in the mod. And it also becomes very clear very quickly that the mod is more than just this house. Interesting. Okay, uh, I will I will watch this video tomorrow. Yes. So and Power Packs, the way Power Pack digs into it, it's really good. They do a really good job of digging into all the ins and outs of this game and talking about how it is definitely based on the book House of Leaves. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> So uh, that video, I, I watched it today, in fact, and absolutely worth watching. Chris, you should check it out. Uh, yeah, 100%. I absolutely will do that. Uh, that that's a, Does does uh, Power Pack uh, have like a scary voice that they put on? Like when, when Super no. Patch Wolf uses, uses his scary voice? Uh, no. I no, try and not really. do his accent. I feel like that would not go well. Power Pack is English, and most most reminds me of H Bomber guy. Mm, okay, so he's like, "Go me, governor." Yeah, that's Dude, what he sounds like. It's a video game. It's like I'm watching the video right now. Oh, I read about it in Edge magazine. That went Australian for a little bit. Edge, <laughs> Edge. That's New Zealand. That's New Zealand. Uh, hey, those are our Texan Rex, Chris. That means it's time for us to talk about some comics. What do you say? Let's do it. Chris, last week's episode was a supersized Groonies episode, which means we didn't talk about last week's comics. And this was a fifth week, so not a ton of books came out. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about some books from last week, starting with one you've been very excited to talk about, Ultimate Invasion Number 1. Yeah. Yeah. I I love these dang Jonathan Hickman comics. <laughs> so this is this is a Jonathan Hickman Brian Hitch joint, which yeah. I gotta say I was not expecting. You and I are not big Brian Hitch fans. No, I think I think we share that opinion, and I don't know if that is a that is a hot take or not. Well, I. I Back when the Ultimates was first happening, I have to admit that I was impressed by the artwork because um, it was very detailed. But in the years since, I've I've soured on Hitch uh, a good amount. I, I have to say, I I do think that Hitch to me is it's like it's. It's like the the thing about I, I first heard this from Chad Bowers, but I don't know if he picked it up somewhere or, or what. But if you start at Kirby, the the path branches at Neil Adams and Alex Hoth. For sure. And yeah. you go down the Neil Adams route and you, you get to like George Perez and, and artists like that. And I am much more into the, the Alex Toth branch of that. And the the mean way that I have said that before is he doesn't draw well, he just draws a lot. Which is how I feel about a lot of Brian Hitch stuff. I do think this is a good-looking comic, though. I think the fact that this comic is drawn by Brian Hitch is part of the narrative. I agree. Yeah, I, th- that's, that's ultimately... Ha-ha. Ha-ha! 
why I think the hitch art in this works really well because this comic is sort of meta. Oh, it's super meta. Yeah. <laughs> it's and every time I read a Jonathan Hickman comic, I'm reminded of him telling me how much he loves Graham Morrison. <laughs> For sure. The hitch art is part of the meta-ness. Like I mean the meta-ness is there because the maker, the ultimate version of Reed Richards, speaks in mixed case. Yeah. He speaks and in else does. balloons and nobody else does, which I also love. Yeah. But like even Miles Morales doesn't speak in mixed case. Yeah, well Miles Morales isn't from the Ultimate Universe anymore. Right. But the maker goes to him and says, hey, we're both from the Ultimate Universe and we're the only ones left. And Miles is like, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, which I I have said before, I love it when characters like have what I think are pretty realistic reactions to things. And I love Miles Morales. Like, the maker comes to Miles Morales and he's like, I'm going to depart this universe and recreate the ultimate universe. And you are the only one left. So I wanted to offer you a place in my universe. And Miles goes, nah, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause why would he? Yeah. Why would he? That is, that is both a realistic thing to do and also a Spider-Man thing to do. <laughs> Definitely. Like, nah, it's, like, it's not, not, but I'm, I'm good. Thank you. You would think the Ultimate Universe by now would just be dead, right? Like, it'd just be forgotten and dead and gone. Mm -hmm. But a a handful of people, and Hickman is kind of the top one, but but to a degree, Al Ewing has done some of this, too. There's a handful of people who were like, there's still juice in this orange. (laughs) And Hickman figured out a way to do it. I mean, that's what you do. That's what comics do with universes. They destroy them and then they bring them back. Yeah. And that is what, that's what you do. And I, I find that fascinating. What I love about this comic and, and the story is how much everybody from the 616 Marvel universe, but especially 616 Reed, just fucking hate this guy. <laughs> yeah. Fucking hate this other, this ultimate Reed Richards. This evil Reed and his nerd helmet. Yeah. Which, it's also funny that Reed has a nerd helmet, and he talks to Professor X, who's also wearing a nerd helmet. Yes. But th- what I think is, like, th- the big moment of this issue is ultimate Reed is like, hey, if you could have just erase me from existence, would you do it? 616 read. And 616 read is like, yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that, that's a good moment. That's a really good moment. Uh, I like that. I, I think this is also a part of the meta narrative that ultimate read acts like an ultimate universe character. In that, like, you know, he he goes and steals a bunch of stuff, and then reads like, okay, well, we he had to know, like, he had to know that we were going to track this, 
and like he could have probably done this with other stuff. And it's like, no, he did a bunch of things that are like big, dumb, widescreen action moments. <laughs> Which I think is very funny. Like, it's a good it's a good bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good bit. And I'm I'm very curious to see where this goes. Like, clearly the implication is that Ultimate Reed is gonna go restart the Ultimate Universe, but change everything. Because the epilogue in this issue is he stops the spider from biting Peter. So, yeah. like, what is the ultimate universe he's trying to build? We don't know yet. Yeah, it's. I, I, I think this is. It's fun. It's fun, and I'm curious to see what he does. And yeah. and by he, I do mean Jonathan Hickman, and I do kind of also mean the maker. <laughs> For sure. Uh, another one of last week's comics that I feel like we must discuss is the first issue of the new Incredible Hulk series, which is by Philip Kennedy Johnson and Nick Klein. Now, Chris, I didn't read any of the Donny Cates Hulk run. Me either. Not that I dislike Donny Cates particularly, but after Immortal Hulk, I was like, yeah, how do you follow that? Yeah, I would not want to be the guy to follow. I, I would not want to be the third guy to follow that run, you know? Yeah. And well, but, but the sense I got from that Donny Cates run was it, it was a hard reset, right? It was like, okay, we did all that Immortal Hulk stuff. Let's go back to kind of classic superhero Hulk stuff. Yeah. Which, which is not, I don't know how you can do that. You know, I I think it's a valid choice just to be like, I'm going to do everything I can to avoid the comparison, you know, but yeah, it's, you know, when somebody builds all this new lore and new stuff around a character, it maybe can be a little deflating to be like, oh, we're we're gonna regress, you know, and and maybe I'm being unfair to the Dunny Cates Hulk run. I don't know because I didn't really read any of it, but this Philip Kennedy Johnson run absolutely steers back into Immortal Hulk. Yeah, in a way that I actually, because reading this, I kind of thought. Like, oh, is this another, like, you know, oh, Bruce Banner wandering from town to town? Like, uh, who cares at this point, you know? This is every reboot of Hulk ever. But then it's like, yeah, 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 no. uh, This run of Hulk is going to be about Hulk is a monster, and so he's going to fight monsters. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be like, it's going to be, if Immortal Hulk is Evil Dead, this feels like it's about to be Evil Dead too. Yeah, so... What I really like about this take on Hulk and how it kind of builds on Immortal Hulk is Immortal Hulk was all about how Hulk is a monster who has his own monster presence and we're going to build like a sort of mythology around him, right? With Mm -hmm. the green door and, and all of that stuff. So the idea, oh, you know what it is? Your comparison is Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2. 
this is like the aliens to Immortal Hulk's alien. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit dumber, but it's also like let's okay, Hulk's a monster. Let's put him in a cosmology of monsters. Yeah, and and that means Hulk gonna be fighting monsters. Yeah, and I'm kind of excited about. I'm kind of excited about the Hulk King of the Monsters. Because I love Marvel Monsters, Matt. Yeah. I love Marvel Monsters, and I also love Marvel Monsters. I love fucking Dracula. <laughs> and I'm excited to yeah, see. I, mean, I want Hulk to fight fucking Dracula, is what I want. Yeah. And, and uh, this isn't an entirely new concept for Hulk, but I do think it is a little different that Banner's on the run here. Because he's not on the run from like authorities who are after him. He's on the run from the Hulk. Mm-hmm. With, who he does not escape. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like this being a book about how there's a new age of monsters and the Hulk is at the in the middle of it, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I'm into it. It like when you get to the turn in this issue and it kind of reveals what the premise is, that's when I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. We'll, we'll read this. Yeah. I'll definitely check this out and, and continue to check this out. Because, you know, I think it's a very reasonable question to be like, how do you follow Immortal Hulk? And I think this book is is figuring it out. Mm -hmm. I think it's figuring it out. One last book that we're going to talk about is the latest issue of Detective Comics. It's Detective Comics number 1073. Uh, Rom V, this is continuing the Rom V run on the book. Uh, Art in this issue is by Ivan Reese and Goran Suzuka. And I don't have a ton to say about this issue, um, just that this story has been great, and I feel like we haven't talked about it a ton. Like the the Zdarsky run on Batman has sort of taken a lot of the air out of the room. Um, but the, like I f- this Rom B run is exploring a lot of the same ideas as the Chip run, like the sort of like what if Batman fails idea, but with a more kind of horror slant. And occasionally he talks to uh, Barbatos, <laughs> the demon Barbatos. I do love the demon Barbatos. Yeah. And it's also kind of like examining not exactly a version of the Court of Owls story, but but that type of story where it's like there's been this group in Gotham. In, in this story, they're the Orgums who have been pulling the strings behind the scenes for a long, long time and doing so from the shadows. There's also a great scene in this issue, Chris, that you would love where everybody's getting mind controlled and Oracle is telling her dad, Hey, be careful. There's like a broadcast that's mesmerizing everybody. And Jim Gordon's like, I've had, I've been through worse and he just doesn't get hypnotized. (laughs) I do like that. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty great. So, uh, I, I've been reading the, the this Romvi 
uh, Detective Comics run, but we just haven't talked about it a ton. But I, I do highly recommend it. It is it is a fun fun book. Speaking of fun books, Chris, the Stardust the Super Wizard anthology is being driven by Van Jensen, and we're going to talk to him. I'm very excited to do so, Matt. Joining us for the program this week, we are very pleased to have a good friend, a longtime friend of us. Uh, someone that I've uh, known for years and years in comics that I'm very excited to talk about. Uh, he is here to talk about his new uh, hardcover anthology uh, about one of the greatest comic book characters of all time, Stardust the Super Wizard, which is uh, fully funded on Zoop uh, and is in the home stretch of the campaign. Van Jensen is here. Van, how are you? Welcome to the show. Well, I'm a little a little offended only that you called Stardust one of the greatest uh, comic book characters of all time. I I'm just gonna say the the greatest. That's that's I, I my mean, stance. I I find it very hard to choose between Stardust and Fantoma. <laughs> true, true, true. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> Two um, characters who are problematic for very different reasons. Of all the characters who debuted in 1939, Stardust is is up there. Uh, <laughs> definitely up there. Definitely true. Van, we did say we, we were talking before we started the show, before we hit record on the old on the old Ajax box. You had to tear yourself away from the kingdom to be here with <laughs> us tonight. I I did. I it's such a weird. It's very strange for me to be like so deep into video games because I I like I quit playing like 2001 2002 when i was in college and literally did not play until we got the kids a switch and then like two years ago got breath of the wild and i got it for them and then they sucked at it and they're always like can you can you help us like can you figure this out for us and i started playing it and then i just didn't stop for like three months yeah and you were obviously like get good (laughs) yeah noobs yeah (laughs) Stop, stop sucking so when you were a certified gamer cir- circa 2001 the the PlayStation 2 era what 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 were your top games then were like were you a Zelda guy back then or were you into different kinds of stuff I was a Sega guy okay <gasps> yeah I just I don't know why but it was like Every and I, I think I've told you guys this before. We talked about this before. That I grew up in this super tiny town, so it was like everyone had Nintendos. And then I don't know why, but I, I had a Genesis, and then I just like I kept going with Sega. And so when I dropped off, um, it was it was the Dreamcast. So you so so the Dreamcast died, and with it. <laughs> your your pro your pro gamer career do you so i have a very like this is a true story and a very specific story of why i quit playing video games do you want to hear it I, absolutely of course <laughs> okay so i was this is going to shock you uh i was in the honors dorm at university of nebraska uh good good little group of nerdlings over there and on our floor you know, we each had different video game systems that we would play, but then we had a landline 
where we would play. And I think it was like Unreal Tournament. It was one of those, you know, first person shooters. And, and we would all, it was like we could all through the land, like drop into the same space, you know, chase each other around, kill each other. And there was this one kid my sophomore year who was like a 16-year-old math prodigy who like could not, could not look you in the eye and speak a sentence, but was like, you know, the greatest mathematician that the school had ever seen. And he also just like would drop in like a ghost and eviscerate all of us, like immediately. And, and it was just this thing where we were like, 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 what is this guy doing? Like, how does he just like kill us? Like, we can't even get a shot on him. And anyway, so there was one day, like, we're playing this, this kid just, just absolutely abuses us. And we're super, it's my buddy Derek and I, we're super frustrated. We're walking to class and walking across the quad and Derek, I can still hear it. He goes, man, I mean, I mean, my hate seeking missiles wouldn't even heat seek. And there were, there were these two girls walking in front of us and they literally turned around, looked us in the face started laughing in our faces and then just walked away. And, and, and that was it. And that was it. Like Derek and I looked at each other and we're like, well, we're done. Yeah, we're done. All right, we're done. And, and 20 years and then breath of the wild. Did you ever feel like you were betraying yourself? With that? <laughs> like you were becoming someone that you weren't. Cause that's oh, like, yeah. that's like classic. That's like teen movie drama. It was it was a full teen movie scene, but I was like if if I was a character in a teen movie, I was always the guy that was like the secondary character that was like torn between worlds. I mean, I played basketball a lot. Like I was a big, you know, I mean, I wasn't like super great or anything, but I was decent and I like I liked sports. Like I I might like basketball more than I like comic books. Um if I'm being honest, but yeah, it definitely, it felt, it felt weird to, to give it up. And you know, the, like I was thinking about that story recently because um, my kids were watching some cartoon and they're, they're pretty young still. And in the show they were watching, someone called someone else a nerd. Like it was an insult. Right. And then after the show ended, my kids came up to me and they're like, Hey dad, what's a nerd. And let me just tell you, like, in, Man, like in our current culture, it is really hard to explain what a nerd is and like why it's an insult. Because I was like, well, it's people that like like comic books and video games and uh, math and science and who are generally smart. And yeah, and, <laughs> and they're like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, you, like, so people who are like super popular are nerds. I was like, I, there's no way for me to yes. explain this. Well, yes, I, children, that's exactly how it is. <laughs> like, like, they're the coolest people. They're also all very good at dunking. Right. I, 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 yes, I have two thoughts that emerge from what you just said. Like, how vastly times have changed in 20 years. Because I feel like now those same two girls of that age would like be like move over and then they would just whip all of your asses at whatever game. Like it would right. be Fortnite or, you know, Overwatch. some battle Royale game now, but yeah. Yeah. They're, they're like the, the captains of the college esports team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
And two, is it too late? It's too it's too late to pitch uh, for the Stardust book now, uh, I guess. But I, I do have a story for you in which Stardust hoops. <laughs> if anything was going to get in, that that's it. That's the. <laughs> I mean, what is that story where he shrinks that dude's body into his head and then throws his head into space, where it lands on an alien with no head? whose head is his torso and whose mouth is his neck. And so it just looks like that guy is now this monster's head, but the head is slowly digesting him for a thousand years. What is that if not the ultimate free throw? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a... I mean, maybe three-pointer. Like, that was from distance. Uh, I do I do want to talk about Stardust for a second, because people who haven't read Stardust or don't know about Stardust have no idea what I was just talking about. <laughs> yeah. Which, is great. Yeah. Yes. But I do I, I do want to know what was your favorite video game back then? Like what like what was it were you like a like an Unreal Tournament guy? Were you like a, a shooter guy? Not not really. Like I I always kinda like games that have a like a bit of action but a lot of uh puzzle solving. And so I mean I remember really loving Metal Gear Solid and I've been kind of praying that they uh they port that onto the switch so i can revisit that and then i have I good news for you man great news oh, is it coming it, that a was whole collection oh my a whole God. collection of all of the metal gear solid games well i maybe just the first three but um a big metal gear solid collection is coming yeah, to one the two switch, and three so. yeah yeah oh you guys just made my day perfect i'm, I'm <laughs> happy to happy to help yeah. Um yeah, I'm trying to think other than that, I remember I remember really being into uh like I think it was like Resident Evil 2 and then it was I believe it was Code Veronica that was on the Dreamcast. That's That's right. So interesting to me because like th- like those are I mean, you know, action games with a lot of puzzle solving. You took 20 years off and then you came back to what is arguably the best action game with puzzle solving, and also the best game of all time. Yeah, I, cer- I certainly, I certainly lucked into it. And, and I should say, between like I did help my kids play uh, Luigi's Mansion Three, and when I played that with them, I was like, "This is like Resident Evil, but cute," which I'm super into. It's a pretty good time for Resident Evil too. Uh, all of the early Resident Evil games are being remade and the last couple of mainline Resident Evil games, seven and eight are really good. So something to look into fan, something to look into. Man, this is the danger of video games. Like I, it's, it's like all those, uh, all those books I need to write are just never going to get done. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. the, it's the Joe Matarira uh, curse. I, I so vividly remember the thing where it's like, oh, Battle Chasers never came out because he was just playing video games all the time. <laughs> he was uh, living I, his best life. Yeah, I remember it was either uh, it was either Marguerite Bennett or or Teenie Howard who was talking about uh, when they got like serious about writing comics that they they just got rid of their video games and because they were like, I can't do this. And play video games and 
write comics, the video games will eat up too much time. And I was like, well, I guess I'm never going to be that successful. <laughs> I guess that's that then. Yeah, I mean, I like, I definitely, you know, as much as it was the the two girls uh, mocking my friend and I to our faces, uh, I mean, I, I also, I had, like, I'll admit, I'd been thinking I need to give up gaming because, so even in college, like, I was doing some creative projects. I was working on some short films with friends. And then I was the editor of our student newspaper, which, you know, it's, it's weird to say, but it was a five day a week, like large newspaper with, I mean, I think it was like 120 person staff. And so I was working like 70 hours a week running this, this newspaper. And I was just like, well, like if I want to be, successful at this stuff and like keep doing this other stuff like something's got to drop so what's it going to be yeah and 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 now look where you are back in breath <laughs> of the wild zelda's <laughs> still in trouble right could have prevented all of this if only man sliding doors <laughs> so let's let's talk about stardust uh stardust is stardust is a fascinating character I remember getting into Stardust with uh, the I Shall Destroy All the Civilized Planets book, yep. uh, which was the uh, collection of Stardust comics, uh, and like a, the like a little bit about Fletcher Hanks, Stardust creator, who was a terrible person. Real bad. Yeah. And it was in that era of comics where the simultaneous... Uh, I have to tell everyone about this comic. They need to read it. And also someone is going to tell me, well, Fletcher Hanks is a terrible person. And I'm going to have to be like, yeah, well, he's also been dead for 50 years. So I think right. it's fine. Right. Uh, I, I feel like it, I, I don't know how you, how you feel, but I feel like it hit at like peak comic book internet where there were yeah. just like, there were so many, like there were great news sites. There were great review sites. All these creators had really great blogs and, and it was just like maybe like early Tumblr era. Cause it's late two thousands. I think when that collection came out and, and that the Stardust stuff, I mean the Fantoma stuff too, but it's, it's like, you know, memes assembled into quasi narrative. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like Michael Kupperman by accident. Yeah, I always describe it as it's as if a like a Zap Comics like underground comics artist decided to riff on you know golden age to like sci-fi silver age superhero stuff and be ultra weirdo satirical. But it was all like contemporary with the beginning of, of superheroes. It was contemporary with early Superman. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it, the thing that fascinates me about golden age comics, even though, and, and I have told this to people and I feel like they think I'm judging unfairly, but like most golden age comics are not good. No. Like that. I mean, most, at least half of all comics are not good at any time, but That's fair. golden age comics are bad in a unique way because they are in this era 
where Superman comes out and is a huge success and is an immediate like icon, like a, a pop culture icon. And everybody wants to get in on that, but nobody knows what the rules are. And so you're watching yeah. a bunch of dudes who have never read comics because they didn't exist, try and figure out how to do comics. And everything is just their version of Superman. Yeah. And so you get to Stardust, whose powers are whatever. He's a super wizard. He can do whatever. Yeah, he has, I, I mean, I lose count, but like every single appearance, he has a different ray that does a different, whatever he needs at the moment, that is the ray that he has. Mm-hmm. Well, well, beyond that, I mean, beyond just the like, there's no rule book for like what a superhero is and what their powers are and and kind of what makes them distinct like there is now. There's also the, the really interesting period that's only a few years, I think, at the beginning of this golden age, where like what the morality of a superhero is is not laid down either. It's not there's no rule for that either. So like you know, Superman, early Superman, he's like defending the poor against like landlords. And that's the right. rules. Right. And like early Batman is more, you know, shadow justice out of the night kind of stuff. And Stardust is just a jerk. <laughs> he he is a jerk who hates racketeers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I don't I don't like did a racketeer kill his dad? I don't know, but Man, he, yeah, and he, like, there will be comics where it's like, he he beats up the bad guy, and then he'll turn around and beat up the victim, and he's like, why were you so weak? <laughs> it's this it's this weird thing where it, it almost feels like, I mean, it, not even almost, it kind of feels like it's from the future. Because it's like, it's like if you, it's like if somebody knew about comics, and Dragon Ball Z. So they knew about comics, they knew about manga, and they knew about Rob Liefeld, and they went back in time, and they kind of remembered it, and this is what they would make. Because that's the other thing, is the, like, the proportions, the the closest thing that I can liken it to to somebody who's never seen it is Rob. Like, it's, yeah. it's this weird, just characters in the Golden Age are not like, Hyper muscular, usually, but this—it's the weirdest proportions, the weirdest costume. He's great. I love him. I the things that there's two things that kind of really have always stuck out to me in terms of why I became obsessed with it, and I think one, and they're sort of related. Like one is just that it, like you said, like that era of comics. And I think most era of comics, there's like there becomes the ideal thing. So Superman was the ideal, and then there's this generation of stuff that's just copying Superman, and and there's sort of, and then you know it's like we we get this this ingrained image of like all right, like this is the perfect image of what a superhero comic is, and then it's either people are emulating that or they're like riffing on it or satirizing it in some way, and Stardust is utterly specific and unique. Like it has a tempo and a cadence unlike anything else. 
the art is unlike anything else. It it's just uh, the morality is unlike anything else, and it's also you know it's it's like this truly um, altruistic work. Like it's it's utterly the unique creation of this very strange, very troubled brain that can't be replicated. And I don't know if you guys, have you guys seen the room, like the Tommy Wiseau movie? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, so just this like ultra B movie that is this pure vision of, of one person, but like batshit crazy. Um, but I love it because like my rational story brain cannot follow it. Like I do not know what's coming next. And so that's really like, as a reader, that's really exciting. Like I have no freaking idea where this is going to go panel to panel. Yeah. Like pacing, like, like they are immensely readable stories in the way that they are. Like it is a golden age comic. I would recommend to people, which I don't usually recommend golden age comics to people, but it's, the logical flow of it is non-existent. You, you do not know what is happening next because you can't know what is happening next. Truly. Yeah. And the, so I talked to Fanagraphics who published those collections. And so they have a, like a one volume of it's all of Fletcher Hanks output, which is really just like two years of intense output. Um, and it is coming back into print this year. Good. Highly recommended uh, for everybody. So Stardust is in the public domain. Yep. Uh, correct. So folks, you too can make a Stardust comic where he hoops. That, don't do that. <laughs> that's TMTM Matt Wilson. Yeah, that's my idea. Don't steal my idea. Don't steal Matt's <laughs> idea. We're gonna. Matt and I are working on just an anthology of Stardust the Super Wizard sports stories. <laughs> God, I'm, that would be incredible. I'm really into baseball. Man, now I really do want to do that. And Matt, we swore we would never work together. Well, it doesn't just have to be Stardust doing sports. It could be other public domain characters doing sports. No, I'm thinking just Stardust. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Stardust, the Stardust sports stories. That's well, you know, we'll talk more off mic. So, what was that? I, I like to think of it as the Dracula revelation of. You have to answer the question of why Dracula is not in your story to me. Because you could put him in. He's public domain. There's nothing stopping you. So if your story doesn't have Dracula in it, why? <laughs> so what was the moment where you were like, oh, I could do Star I could do a Stardust comic? <laughs> I the idea has floated around uh for a while, and how this got going so um I've got a graphic novel coming out actually really soon, July 11th uh, from IDW called Arca, plug, plug, um, that is drawn by Jesse Lonergan, who's this absolutely incredible cartoonist. <laughs> and Jesse had like, he, he runs a, a shop where he'll like design stuff and, you know, you can get t-shirts or whatever. And I saw that he did a stardust and I was like, Oh man, like you're into stardust. I'm into stardust. And so we talked a bit and we're like, that'd be cool to do something. And then I just posted something on Twitter. It was like, Hey, I think it'd be cool to do a Stardust, the super wizard anthology. Who would want in? And it got 500 replies. 
and like all the big hitters, like every, all the big names are part of the campaign. Like they're part of the campaign because they responded to me and then like texted me and emailed me. They're like, you're really doing this right. Like I want in, right. You got to let me in. So then it was just like, well, shit, I, I guess I, uh, I guess I am making a Stardust comic book. Right. Cause you got like Mike Allred, you've got, uh, Francesco Francavia in this. Yeah. Yeah, Frank Avia, Jeff Parker, Tom Fowler, Pete Woods, Ron Mars, uh, Xander oh, Tom, I cannot wait to see Tom Fowler's Stardust. Yeah, man. Uh, it's and the, the thing that's so great about it is like my one dictate to creators is just like turn your logic brain off. That's it. So that, that, that was going to be my next question because to me the big difference between Stardust and Dracula. Bet you didn't know that phrase was going to occur. <laughs> um, but like Dr- Dracula, ever since he's kind of existed outside of the original book, there have been, you know, vastly different interpretations of Dracula. You know, like the original movie Dracula is not book Dracula and. Lots of different interpretations of Dracula have, you know, made sense over a century and a half. But, like, Stardust, as you said, is so idiosyncratic and has such a specific rhythm and such it's such a particular thing. Like, if somebody had submitted a story where it kind of felt like it wasn't quite that rhythm or wasn't quite that idiosyncratic thing that Stardust is, would you have had to push back on it? Or did everybody kind of nail it? I had to push back on one person out of everyone. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. It, and then, you know, I think it was maybe a person who had the least history with the character. Um, but, you know, pretty much everyone who came in, um, really, yeah, essentially everyone who came in was like, really knew the character, uh, had the same sort of obsession that I did. And, you know, in the, the stories are very different. Um, and they, they really, like, they each have the creator's voice, but they also, you know, they're just unhinged and, and people really embody that where it's like you read them and you're like, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen next. Like, um, uh, you guys know Buster Moody, the cartoonist? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So he and Adam Smith, uh, the writer did a story that's about like a greasy spoon diner. That's a purgatory that Stardust has created for supervillains. Um, and that's like, that's pretty much me telling you the entire plot of the story, but like the, <laughs> the stuff that happens in this story, it's like, it's so weird, man. And even like me telling you exactly what the plot is will in no way impact your, your reading of this story because it's just, Oh, it's so strange. and so delightful. I I'm interested in the way that Matt phrased that question, because I thought the direction that you were going to go with it and you touched on it a little bit, Van was that the primary difference between Dracula and Stardust is that Dracula appeared in a story, <laughs> right? 
that like that like has events that happen in sequence and affect yeah. each other. So there is a narrative in play, whereas that is not always the case with Stardust. Uh, and you mentioned like turning off your your logical brain. How do you like? How do you approach that? Like, I feel like that is would be the most difficult part of writing a Stardust story is figuring out how to do that lack of logic in that way. Yeah. I, um, so I can't speak for anyone else, but so I did, I'm doing two stories in the book and one, one is like a meta text that, um, that kind of runs through and ties everything together that Pete Woods and I are doing together. And then the other one is a short with, uh, Robert Wilson, the fourth. And oh, I love that guy. Oh, I mean, he, he's incredible. And we've, we've been friends forever. I've wanted to work together forever. So he, like, I was only planning on doing one story and he reached out and he was like, I want to do the book. I want to do a story with you. Well, I'm not saying no to that. So I love that this is turning out like the more people I find out are in it, like the more it's turning out to be like, (laughs) like just people that we know. (laughs) Robert, Tom and you. Yeah. It's totally, it's totally a, a pals list, uh, for sure. For sure. Um, but so, yeah, so the way that I went about doing that story, so I was like, you know, like Robert draws really good action and, but he also like, he does really good emotional stuff. Um, so I was like, I want to do something that is emotional. And, and then I was just like, I was trying to just like free associate and <laughs> somehow the phrase lovesick lock pick came into my mind. Okay. And so I was just like, all right, it's the ballad of the lovesick lockpick. And then I was like, okay, like, who is this guy? What's going on? And I was like, all right, it's a lockpick who's, like, picking the lock at a bank. And uh, Stardust shows up and, like, eviscerates all the other bad guys. And then uh, and this guy's just, like, crying uh, because he, and he explains to Stardust. He's like, well... I really, uh, I have this great girlfriend. She wants to marry me. I want to marry her, but she says she won't marry a criminal. And so my heart says like, leave the racket, you know, be with, be with my girlfriend. But my brain says I make all this money, so I should keep doing this. And I'm like, literally just like, like typing on the page, just like figuring this out as I, as I go. Right. And so it's like, you know, he's explaining this to Stardust and then Stardust is like, I can solve this problem for you. And shoots him with a scalpel ray that cuts open his chest and his skull. And his, uh, his heart and his brain hop out of the lockpick's body. And they look like Looney Tunes, like heart and brain. And then they just have like a fight to the death to decide like what, what this guy is going to do. Like, is he going to be with his girlfriend or is he going to, you know, stick with the life of crime? And, and- you can see pages from that, like you can see at least one page from that on the Zoop campaign drawn by Robert Wilson. It looks incredible. It's so great. <laughs> I I kind of want to buy that page. Uh, they have mustaches. That's that's my number one favorite detail. Yeah, oh my right god, man! Right. They have mustaches. Yeah, like I. So the lockpick has a mustache, and then. 
you know, Robert sends me the pages. And that was literally my my only reply to it was like, the little mustaches. <laughs> it just, oh, it's just so silly and so fun. And like I talked to Robert at Heroes Con and he was like, man, I have to tell you, that was the most fun that I think I've ever had making comics. And I was like, dude, me too. Cause I was just like, let me just be silly and just riff. I, I love like that energy is something that I associate with people like, like Michael Coverman, like Bob, Bob Burden, uh, like, like that kind of, you, you know, uh, chip, uh, chip, especially yeah. chip's early stuff is like, yeah. Oh, this person's just like clearly having fun. Yeah. And I love to get that feeling when I'm reading comics. So I'm very, very excited to, to see it here. I, I feel like it was a really like an incredibly beneficial thing for me, even though, and you know, so I will say like this project is a ton of work and plenty of stress and I will make $0 off of it if I'm lucky. Uh, and you know, all of that, but like, it's the most fun that I've had making comics. And it has really, I think kind of re-triggered the way that I or rewired the way that I approach creativity where I'm, you know, so I'm working on, I've got an ongoing series, uh, from IDW originals that's coming out next year. And I'm, I'm in the middle of writing it. And I really like, I'm approaching it the same way where it's like, I have a general outline with like mile markers, but man, like in between those points, I'm just having so much fun. And it's, I don't know. It just, it's like, this kind of seems like the way that comic books should get made. Van, we got to get to listener questions in one second, but I do have to ask this question because one of the added stretch goals is, you're going to get a stardust tattoo if the campaign gets to 50 grand it's, it's got a ways to go to get there listeners. You can help make it happen. It's true. So if you go to the zoo page, you can see the piece of art that will be the tattoo. My question is where? Yeah. You know, there was some debate about like, should we, should we do a poll? <laughs> to- to let people decide. And some of the artists on the campaign uh, were thinking that they, they should be able to like, uh, you know, draw, draw the art and dictate it. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't have too much shame, but I have enough to, to not put that much into the hands of the public. Um, <laughs> but the, the current thought is I'm, I'm thinking a thigh tattoo, like the kind where it's like, okay. You know, you only see it if I'm wearing swim trunks, and it's like, oh, we'll start us there. All right. Van, I've known you for a long time. I've been a fan of yours for a long time. Here, here's what I'm going to say to you, and I need you to know that I mean this as, as someone who likes someone who has shared an, an Uber with you, the Uber Queen experience in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, don't be a coward. Don't be, don't be a coward. If it you're going to get it, if you're going to get it on a place you can only see when you're in swim trunks, get him like peek it up from the waistband. <laughs> get oh, him that's like a good one. snake. Uh, yeah, that's a solid one. I, I think 
the thing is then like i'm just gonna wear swim trunks to conventions i, <laughs> I think is the move <laughs> that's a good that's a good one. especially new york comic-con october in new york city yeah just let the thighs yeah. breathe yeah yeah no uh, no i i i hope look the ajax bump is real i hope we get you there uh folks if you want to ensure that that van makes <laughs> makes at least zero dollars off this campaign <laughs> Uh, go check that out on zoop.gg. Uh, but for now, we're going to let our listeners ask you a couple of questions. Matt, if the listeners want to get in on these conversations that we have with people who are going to get Stardust tattoos, like Van Jensen, how exactly can they go about that? Well, Chris, the number one place you can go is to Discord and join the War Rocket Ajax Discord. Uh, you do have to ask for an invitation to be a member of our Discord, but if you want one uh, and you're not a jerk, you can just politely ask us for an invitation, and we'll be sure to get you one. And you can go over to the Discord. There's a listener questions channel there where you can ask questions for our guest, or you can follow us on Twitter at War Rocket Pod and ask questions on Twitter for our guest. Uh, we take questions from both places. And Van, our first question from you for you is going to come from our Discord, uh, and this question is from Brad the Dope Dog on our Discord. What more obscure Fletcher Hanks creation deserves the same cult status Stardust and Fantoma enjoy? Uh, there's a there's a great um, there's a great it's like a lumberjack strip that he did under a pseudonym uh that i think it was called big red mclean yeah yeah big red mclean i i couldn't remember if it was big or if it was just red mclean but yeah it's it's just like just as absurd of a comic but uh all about i'm not even called the adventures of a lumberjack <laughs> just like bizarre uh random interspersed scenes featuring a lumberjack with a, a big red beard <laughs> uh isabel on our discord says you have lots of people doing versions of stardust the comic who do you think does the best version of stardust the song stardust the song man am i just out of touch uh i don't know that i don't know i don't know it's it's uh i think it's an old it's an old song uh there's a willie nelson version Oh, that song that I, I thought she was asking about a contemporary song. I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't like, I have young children. I have no clue what contemporary culture is. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't say that a bunch of other ones even popped to mind. So yeah, the Willie Nelson one, I mean, it's hard to go against Willie Nelson, right? That's true. That is very true. Robert Secundus on Twitter asks, why don't more wizards have guns? I think a gun wizard would be cool as hell. <laughs> that's not a question, man. Uh, well, I that's guess, true. yeah, I think that's really, it's like a, a imperative question. Like just give, give wizards more guns is really the subtext there. Um, would, would here's my question to you guys: Would Gandalf be better off with a gun? And uh, assuming the answer is yes, uh, what what would Gandalf carry? I mean, he already I, has glam during the faux hammer. 
So he's pretty he's pretty set as far as powerful magic weapons go. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Gandalf would be better with a gun. <laughs> Gandalf, I, however, his brother. <laughs> yeah. Tom Tom Bombadil, while not maybe fully a wizard, but certainly in the family of wizards, uh, you know, I think couple couple sawed off shotguns. Oh yeah, yeah. His 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 <laughs> jacket's blue and his guns are yellow. Tom <laughs> Tom Boombadil. Uh, Tom Gunbadil. Stone <laughs> uh, Cold HCC, an account that exists only to ask questions on War Rocket Ajax, wants to know. Y'all ever concentrated hard enough to make a real-life Hadouken come out? Only once. Van, do you ever Hadoukened? I don't even know what that is. It is a Street Fighter... Did you Fighter... not Marvel vs. Capcom 2 on the Sega Dreamcast? Uh, I, was not a, I was not a Street Fighter guy. Mm. I, only, I, I only played it a little bit, uh, a little bit at the arcades. Well, but... it, it's, it's that blue fireball that... Oh... I don't man, I was trash at fighting games. Just pure trash. <laughs> so not only have you not concentrated hard enough to make a Hadoken come out, you didn't even concentrate hard enough to to do quarter circle and punch. No, no, none of that. No, I, yeah, just real uh real absolute garbage universally at fighting games. <laughs> Uh, Chris Kaiser on our Discord wants to know, or has a little build-up to his question. Uh, Stardust the Super Wizard is a bit of a shibboleth for the type of comics fan who knows a decent amount of obscure history and enjoys a certain flavor of Buckwild comic book. Who are some other characters in Stardust's class? That is a great question, and also extra credit for a pitch-perfect use of Buckwild. And and shibboleth. I mean, a lot of <laughs> yeah. word, word usage in here. Yeah. Um. Oh gosh. It's really tough to put anything in there because it's like there's not a lot of like Ed Wood kind of stuff in comics. Yeah. But Stardust uh, is Star, Stardust is a bit of a unicorn. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe, like, I just think that everything, all the recent stuff is too self-aware. And and that's kind of, like, to me, that feels like a prerequisite for it. It's, it's just, it's, like, totally, totally unself-aware. And then there are some Gonzo, like, there are some other Gonzo characters from the Golden Age. But they, they're, they're just, like, not... Uh, not good those comics like like chris said like those are mostly bad comics yeah it's it's all those comics from that era are either like way too earnest or don't have the level of craft behind them to have staying power it, like like i said it, stardust is is a unicorn in that regard i feel like yeah uh, one last question uh, this is from uh, CJ Crawl on our Discord. How do you approach adapting something from such a distant era and making it appealing to modern audiences? Uh, by uh, by not thinking commercial thoughts, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I don't. That's, that's the that's the beauty of crowdfunding, right? Like you don't have right. to convince somebody that it's that it'll fly off the shelf. <laughs> you could just make the thing if if enough people are willing to give you money. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I um you know, the the one thing that I did with this anthology and this isn't an answer to the exact question, but I wanted to structure it in a way that, and you, you know, you can't necessarily see this just from the previews that, that are on the campaign, but like a lot of anthologies are just like a whole mess of one page stories. And, and, you know, I understand why people do that because it's really easy to ask for, for a page, but I wanted to make something where it's, it's actually really readable and has a, a planned out structure and flow to it. So we have a smaller number of contributors. There's only about 24 or 25 people that are going to be in the book. And so the stories are ranging from like about five to 10 pages. And, and then, like I said, there's going to be this overall structure to kind of take you through the flow of it. Um, but there's also going to be a lot of stuff in there that, that explains like who Stardust was and, you know, sets, it sets the reader up to understand what, what they're getting into rather than just like, here's a bunch of stuff that features this really weird character. Well, Van, I hope that encourages lots of our listeners to go back this campaign uh, if they haven't yet. Uh, So if you could, please let them know where they can back the campaign, where they can follow you and where they can find uh, your other stuff. Yeah, so you can back the book at zoop.gg. Um, it'll be up on the main page. And uh, hope, hopefully we get it to uh, $49,999.99 to keep my wife happy. Um, Just under ha- tattoo level. Do you have any other tattoos? Uh, two. Okay. It would be yep. wild if this was going to be your first one. But yeah, no, no. But I did like the other ones are are recent. But uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, so you can also find me at vanjensen.com and uh, yeah, Van Jensen on the uh, social media places. And uh, yeah, oh, and then I do uh, I do a newsletter on Substack. So it's just vanjensen.substack.com, and I kind of write about like every and they're they're pretty sparse that I send them, but it's like every edition is a piece of writing advice told as a story kind of about the way that I learned this particular aspect of writing. Right. You just like Stardust, you just used your, your plot contrivance ray. (laughs) There you go. Our guest has been Van Jensen. Uh, the Stardust Anthology is on Zoop.gg. Go get it, because I want to read this book. It is already funded, so you are you are getting the thing that you want with this campaign. It's going to be good stuff. Van, thank you so much for, for being on the show here. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks once again to Van Jensen for joining us on the show. And Matt, we had too much fun. We had too much fun, too much show. Too much fun, too much show. We got to just close it out. Uh, Van was such a blast to talk to and I hope we get to talk to him again I do too I think that would be a, a great time by all indications I, I, I think it would be a hoot
Hoot confirmed. Hoot confirmed. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, some more guests. We had a hoot watch that became a hoot warning. <laughs> and then the hoot touched down. <laughs> Dozens dead. We're going to have uh, some very, very fun guests next week that you're going to want to come back for. So come back for them. Because uh, it's going to be a fun, fun time. Yeah. So please be here for that episode. Uh, till then, Matt, where can everybody find us online? Uh, well, everybody can find every single episode of this show at warrocketajax.com. Uh, every sh- episode we've ever done is there. Uh, you can also find ev- all the information you could ever need about this show at warrocketwiki.com, the fan-run repository of everything you could want to know about War Rocket Ajax. You can email us at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Tumblr at warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. We're on Twitter at warrocketpod. And I talked all about how you can join our Discord earlier. So do that if you're so inclined. If you want to find me and my stuff, you can go to mattdwilson.net. It's where you can find links to my comics, my books, my other podcasts, and my social medias. Chris, where can people find you? Everybody can find all my stuff by going to the-isb.com. That is my website. It has links to everything that I do. That does it. We will be back next week with another episode. Hope your week is a hoot, friends and listeners. Friends Who's and confirmed? Men- well, it's... Are you confident enough to declare it a hoot in advance? (laughs) A hoot in absentia. Until then, folks, do not forget uh, Black Lives Matter. Trans rights are human rights. Cops are not your friends. Drag is not a crime. And abortion rights are also human rights. And we love you. We love you. Flash.